Hello and welcome to this edition of The Screen Podcast, which is the podcast for the global screen business publication Screen International and takes a monthly look at the hot topics and stories from the worlds of film and high-end television. I'm Matt Mueller, Screen's editor, and for this episode we're coming to you from the Cannes Film Festival, where the Screen team usually heads en masse every May to report on the annual South of France Jamboree dedicated to both the art and business of cinema. The great directors striving to capture the imagination of critics with their latest works, and the frenzied deal-making that goes on behind the scenes and drives this industry. Joining me as ever to discuss what it was like to get here and how it's going so far is my glamorous co-host, Vanula Halligan, Screen's chief film critic and reviews editor. Welcome, Finn. Hi, Matt. We're here. We're here. We made it. We made it. We were so uncertain about making it, even probably up until 10 days before we came, right? And it was just, you know, we planned all our PCR tests and all the different papers that we were told to fill out, the Declaration d'Honneur that apparently the French government were going to demand. And there were so many things and bits of things to worry about before we got here. But we we did all that. We sailed through Nice Airport, it must be said, with probably less hassle than I've ever had before at that airport. So I was kind of amazed at all the prep work that went into it and then the, the actual relative ease of, of sort of actually navigating the, the, you know, the border controls. What about for you? Yeah, it was, you know, I'm very, I have to say, you know, normally kind of, you know, go from A to B without giving it too much thought, but a lot of anxiety, do I have the right papers, do I have everything uploaded, and, you know, no one seems to want to see too many things, but I imagine they have them, because they seem to have given my details and my PCR tests and my vaccinations to everyone, and, and it's sort of unclear of what the protocol would be when we got here regarding people who are resident in the UK, and we found out, I think, very late on in the day that we would not be allowed into, as UK residents and, and anybody else on the Amber list, would not be allowed into the Palais Day Festival without a, a negative PCR test, which we would have to take every 48 hours. So that was interesting. I, it, but later, it must be said, it transpired that that did not include the bigger cinemas. So the, the giant Palais itself, the Grand Theatre Lumiere and the WC, you can you don't need anything really apart from your ticket to go into. And there's no social distancing in there. So these are very big cinemas. They're absolutely packed full. Well, they we've only had the opening film. Absolutely packed full and um, nothing required. So it's still, you know, we're still sort of figuring it out. We have to do the test. It's quite an unusual test. You have to spit into a little bottle and get it up to two millimeters or else it won't work. Um, but everyone's super friendly and, you know, and it's you know you can book them very easily it's just that no one ever seems to want to see them but yes so so we're here we're here we're here and the first film you know the opening ceremony was a triumph you know it was a triumph the jury all in the um led by spike lee in a resplendent fuchsia pink suit which i have to say was you know if we're going to go a bit fashion matt that was my pick of the night Gorgeous, <laughs> and, uh, and and the opening film, Leo's Carrick's in it with the with the cast and crew all there. Adam Driver on a quick release from a Netflix show he's shooting actually, and um, Marion Cotillard, Leo's Carrick's, and and in we went. Jodie Foster got her special palm presented to her by Pedro Almodovar speaking in English, which I have never heard him speak in English before. So it was quite a moving moment. Spike Lee, Bong Joon-ho, Pedro Almodovar and Jodie Foster between them declared this festival over and it was a special moment because of course you know we didn't have a physical festival last year in Cannes so all went off well I think Matt what was your impression? Well, I wasn't at the opening night film, but I was at the opening night dinner, which we got our first course at midnight. 
Oh, you did? Yes, we did. We arrived, as we were told, around 11, 11, 15 p.m. And we were told to wait in the parking lot until until the cast arrived, until the festival coterie uh, had arrived and, and sort of got in first, uh, including Terry, Terry from us. So we so there was quite a, a large crowd of us gathering outside in the parking lot outside the Palm Beach. But we did eventually get in um, and we did sit down and they had a dinner for about 550 people, mainly as always, the opening dinner is probably the great and the good of the French film industry. You know, there were a lot of sales agents and distributors and, you know, all the, the Unifrance people. I mean, there was a, you know, it's a real, it's a very French film industry focused dinner, but it was, it was nice. I mean, you know, the food arrived quite late. They did went for a vegetarian menu, which is a, a, a bit unusual, I guess, in France where you're so used to having, um, you know, meat on the menu and vegetarians are always told, you know, that it's going to be very hard for them to eat properly, but they, they got a sort of Michelin starred chef to do a vegetarian menu and uh, it was very nice. And then Thierry and Pierre Lescure, the president got up and sort of said a few words and they singled out Jerry Schatzberg, who was there for, he was 94 years old, but had actually traveled to Cannes. So the, you know, the, the seventies um, American filmmaker of great renown and Thierry said uh, quite amusingly, just imagine you've all been asleep for a year and now you've woken up and you're back in Cannes. So like <laughs> almost like a Dallas thing, like last year didn't happen, but here we are back in Cannes. So that was coming a, out of the shower, Bobby's shower. Coming out of the shower, exactly like Patrick Duffy. It was fun. So it was, you know, it was nice to be there and sort of see the, you know, all the men in black ties and women in glamorous gowns and you know a nice a nice uh, very late night kind of uh, dinner just to, to start up the festival and it was a yeah it was a it was a as you say it's it's fantastic to be back here and it was just a reminder of how you know how great can is and how how magnificent it is to be back on the quasette i mean i have to say for myself the the 48 hour spit tests are kind of you know they're very easy they've made it extremely simple but uh for myself i'm finding it a little bit of a struggle to generate that much spit and have to keep going back <laughs> i thought you were going to say enthusiasm <laughs> sending me back and saying not enough not enough so that's that's kind of fun but i'd rather have that than the um the nasal swab which apparently is um is quite painful so you do have to get that to, uh, before we return to, to the UK. When we'll have UK, to... and we'll do our quarantine when we come back. Um, but so, so shall we move on to the, the opening film, the um, the much anticipated musical Annette, um, with uh, the music by the Male Brothers, who we know as Sparks, kind of picaresque duo, electronic influence score. You might have expected, and you, and you do get it, and quite mischievous, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, and directed by the. Wonderful, Leos Carax, and uh, a very eccentric film, uh, as might be expected <laughs> if you team the male brothers with Leos Carax, a very odd film, quite long. Adam Driver playing a sort of a, sort of a self-loathing comedian who, um, I have to say, I mean, this is really not very serious criticism, but a very fit Adam Driver, you know, a sort of a very kind of ripped Adam Driver playing a, a self-loathing comedian who um, very famous for his kind of, nastiness on stage and he was wearing the reason why I say he's very ripped wearing a kind of a a boxer like dressing gown on stage and, and at one point exiting and you know pulling pulling his shorts down for the audience who applaud and sing and he has a love affair he's very very kind of into the into the dark abyss and drives his motorcycle at night and is having an all-consuming love affair with a opera singer played by Marion Cotillard and um, they have a baby who's a um, called Annette, but is actually a wooden kind of 
Pinocchio-like doll, you know, baby doll, a wooden doll. And um, I won't say any more. I won't give away any more. Um, mixed reaction, understandably, because it's um, a bit like an anchovy of a musical. So, <laughs> uh, I sort of um, enjoyed it while being relieved I didn't actually have to write about it <laughs> because it's quite an unusual one. But, you know, that's that's can off to a kind of a very Keynesian note, really, with that. And the reviews, yeah, like I said, they're pretty mixed. Some is superlative and some just not into it at all. But, you know, you would have had the same with Holy Motors, which was his last film here. But I think probably Holy Motors had a bit more a bit more spark to it, you know, it's just unfortunate. You would have expected something a bit kind of lighter and more lively from the from from the male brothers, but it's 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 a little bit the airs kind of feels a bit sucked out of it. It was my view, but you know. And it's uh it's being released in in France this week as well. I mean and and I think one thing we were um hearing is that there there would be far less parties this year. There would be more sort of more dinners for for cast and filmmakers and like not having these big, but in fact, I understand there wasn't a net party last night that, that you, the French distributor held and also Amazon was involved in as well. So there was, there was a party happening somewhere in Cannes. There were 2000 of us crammed into the palais with, with no social distancing whatsoever and no requirement to show any vaccination or do anything. I mean, we're testing as, as Brits, but you know, most other people aren't testing. And this year they're not looking for a badge to get into these screens. They just, want your ticket so um which is very different to before so yes so i, I i'd say sort of a bit of an inconsistent approach to the old social distancing going on here and because we were there for the opening ceremony and the film we were there for like nearly on four hours we had to go in there early so uh, you know and not everyone in the audience wearing masks and you know not all of the contingents wearing masks so i i'd say the kind of um as the week goes on we'll probably see less and less of an, of an effort being made. There was no actual requirement to wear a mask in the Lumiere, correct? There was a- They want you to wear a mask, but it's not, it's not, you know, for example, say, you know, you're asked to wear a mask as you go in, but if you take it off when you sit down, which of course many people do, um, in Venice last year, uh, there was social distancing. So every seat between you was unoccupied. And also in Venice, they had like people patrolling the audience. So if you took your mask down, if you even put it below your chin, they would come over and get you to put it back up. But if you didn't put it back up, you were out the door. Well, you know last night in the Lumiere no that wasn't the case and it seemed to be very much a kind of a personal um choice you got in the door with your mask on but once you sat down you know so uh, I feel I mean I, I you know I mean I know exactly what you mean and I feel that there is some sort of collective release from the people who have actually made the effort to come here that they're just gonna enjoy being here and they're yeah, just they're kind of over being gonna, tested they're gonna go out to dinner I, I you know you go to restaurants and clearly mm -hmm. they are heaving and there's no one inside and outside everyone who has come you know the the industry who have come the delegates who have come they are just gonna enjoy being here and i, I i've already sort of felt that there's very little less caution than i would have expected i mean certainly yeah. you know a lot less caution than there was in in venice last year of course well you know <laughs> Before we had the vaccines and that's a you know this is obviously a different time but it is for sure um as i sort of said it feels like a collective kind of sigh of relief and we're just gonna enjoy it it's the yeah, summer yeah. Of July. And, and i think we're all rather confused anyway with various rules and regulations in various countries i mean you know it's it's not as if anyone has the absolute line on the way we shall behave you know it's it sort of seems so random and then you're here and you're like oh it's oh, okay <laughs> Uh, I'll just go in, I'll sit down and, you know, see what happens and hopefully it'll all be good. I'm sure it'll all be good, right? It'll all be good. And now we're going to be joined by a special guest who's also uh, having fun navigating the festival this year. 
Okay, well, Matt, we're actually joined, we're fortunate to be joined because he's a busy man by Jonathan Ratter. He's the head of film at Premier PR, which is one of the world's biggest publicity companies and certainly one of the most dominant ones here at Cannes. Jonathan, how many films do you have this year? Um, we are handling 10 films here in Cannes this year. And can I just ask you how it's been? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's never fun. And I would say it's a lot less fun this year than usual. You had the opening night film, in fact. Yes, we did. Tensions we were did. high. Everyone was yes. wondering how it would go. Uh, how, how, do you, how are you feeling today now that we've gotten through that? It seems to have gone pretty well. Um, the reviews are mostly, not exclusively, positive. Uh, <laughs> there was and... a negative review on screen. Can I just... <laughs> And obviously the, the whole team from the film has been here. Yeah, it's it's always, being at the very start of a festival is always particularly hard because you just have to hit the ground running. And so, um, you know, you don't have chance to ease into things, uh, to check things out. I mean, we've already been checking out a venue for a junket that doesn't take place until the beginning of next week. Whereas you can't do, <laughs> you are on the on the whole, you can't do that. But I mean, in terms of this year being um, special, different, how did that play out? In you know, I mean, it's quite an, an amazing feat to have assembled the whole cast here and yeah. do the red carpet and the protocols and everything else. Was that intensely stressful, or am I just asking a completely yeah, obvious I, question? I, I mean, I didn't get that involved on that side of things, so I, it's a bit of a difficult one for me to answer personally. I mean, we are slightly more involved. On that side of things on on some other films but in general the problem this year of course is that you have got to factor in all of the covid precautions on top of everything else and in some cases that's obviously just a case of reminding somebody to, to take a mask with them which is very straightforward but it's also scheduling you know 48 hour checks and working out where within an existing schedule those checks can be slotted uh, and it's the same with us. I mean, I have to do one every 48 hours like everybody else. But then, sometimes it doesn't suit my working schedule. So I'm having to do some of them, you know, in the morning and then, you know, just making sure that there is, I haven't allowed more than 48 hours to lapse. But in some cases, you know, I'm going one afternoon and then the morning two days later just to, you know, keep but, going. Because you have to wait six hours for your test to come back. Yes. What, four to six hours yeah. and then factor in any issue yeah. that might happen. Yeah. You have some big films coming up, though. Yes, we do. You, you've got French Dispatch, for example. We've got the French Dispatch. We've got the Velvet Underground. And then we've got a number of films in Director's Fortnight, special screenings, and Uncertain Regard. And, uh, yes, the, the French Dispatch, in terms of size, is the biggest how, how big is the um, is the contingent coming? The it's, delegation. It's most. I mean, most of the most, but not all of the big name actors you see on screen are coming in. I mean, it's the same people who would have come in last year had the festival happened. So we've got um, just off the top of my head: Wes Anderson, Timothy Chalamet, Leia Sadu, Benicio del Toro, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton. And Jonathan, what are the particular challenges around getting that cast into Cannes? I mean, are there any particular challenges for any of those cast members who are coming for the French Dispatch or any of the other big titles that you're working on? Again, the challenges are primarily the same challenges that you have every year in terms of people are working. 
So, you know, for example, you know, Adam Driver came in and out of Cannes very quickly because he's in the middle of shooting something else. Other people, no, on the whole, it's just the, it's just the testing. It's obviously making, you know, them get, reminding people that they need to get tested, you know, before they leave. We have been, I say, comparatively lucky compared to some people because our films have very little, little British talent attached to them. And obviously the UK, coming in from the UK, you know, has its own issues. Can we talk about the size of the team to do 10 films, the size of the team that you have yeah. to have here to manage all that and yeah. the logistics of, um, you know, how many people, how you get them in, how you quarantine them, how you work the schedule, yeah, sure. given all that. Yeah. I mean, it can is always, for us, a, a logistical nightmare. I, as is any festival, it's not just can. Berlin and Venice are the same where we have a, you know, we have a finite number of staff and some of those staff are very experienced, some less so. And we hopefully, with every festival, know well in advance about, let's say, the tentpole titles. But obviously we're also keen to work on films with first-time directors, you know, films in the here in Directors Fortnight, in the, some of the sidebars. And so it's a strange job of, you know, we're talking to sales companies or they approach us. And in some cases we say, what, you know, what we usually say is, when does the film screen? And more often than not, they say, we haven't got a date yet. And then I say, uh, well, it could be difficult to commit until we have a date because there are certain points in the festival next week here, for example, with the French Dispatch, when we know that that will take up a very large number of, of my staff. And so we just can't be around to handle other films. It's as simple as that. So it's this rather tense juggling game of matching the right staff with the right film and no, making sure that they have the capacity to do it. I don't want anybody to be overburdened. We, we turn down a lot of stuff because we just, you know, we know when we have to say stop. And even then it's stressful, uh, even with, a, with the load we have, it's, um, you know, people are working very, very long. It's a bigger uh, festival this year as well. And it's a bigger festival, yes. Does that affect the smaller titles you're representing? It makes getting coverage for them harder, there is no doubt about it. But what I feel has changed dramatically in recent years is that so much of the work for those smaller films has to be done ahead of the festival. You can't come to Cannes and present to journalists a first-time feature and a first-time feature, probably not in English, and expect journalists to say, oh, great, bring it on. It just doesn't work like that. So I would say for the smaller titles, a lot more of the press work has to be done ahead of Cannes, whereas on the bigger films, it's the logistical work that has to be done ahead because it's more to do with, with the bigger films. Obviously, you know, you get into large-scale junkets and hiring TV crews and grooming and trains and boats and planes, whereas with the smaller films, it's just trying to do what you can to get attention for them and the right sort of attention. Most of the bigger films, you, you don't need to be drawing attention to them because they automatically become the cornerstone titles of the festival. And it's our job just to manage and make sure that whatever interviews are accomplished out of 
the festival are right for the film and helpful for the film on release. Whereas with the smaller films, you're, you tend to be more focused on generating interest in them on site to help the sales agent secure sales because most of them come unsold. What's your thoughts on, um, I mean, number one, we hear that there's 35% less media in Cannes this year. That was a, a figure that was mentioned by Thierry Frameau. But also the fact that the festival is happening in July for the first time, so middle of the summer, a big European football tournament's going on. I mean, do you think Cannes is going to have a harder time cutting through this year? Or do you think that the people that who are here to report on it are the kind of people that you would like to be here to report on the films that you're that you're covering yeah i would say that most of the significant press who we deal with on a regular basis are here admittedly you know some not but i would say most of them are um and certainly we're not having any problems at all you know filling the junket time that we have i have noticed i've been getting a lot more emails from people mostly people i've never heard of asking for links and obviously we, we just say no, but it, it's a lot of those are in with cover notes saying, oh, due to COVID, I haven't been able to make it to Cannes this year. Now, this is invariably from somebody who I wouldn't know if they'd been in the past anyway, because I don't know them. And, you know, it'd be great. And we, I'm planning to cover the festival. And it'd be great if you could send me a link and obviously they will get told no. Even if some of those are genuine, I have a lot of reservations about, getting into the world of film festivals being done virtually. I agree with you because then you come here and then people are asking for links who are here. Yeah. And I just... But it's, it's, also, yes, it's yeah. also just that... It's come in, hasn't it, yeah, a lot over it's, the last It's year. also this thing of like, if, if, the, if we end up providing links to everybody, then will they bother coming to a festival? And, well, the whole idea of a festival sort of change in a, not in a necessarily positive way. And, you know, those people who make the effort and spend the money and take the risks, dare I say, of coming here. It's just really unfair on them. If other people can just blithely sit there and say, oh, send me a link and I'll I'll cover it. So um, I've definitely noticed a lot more of that. In terms of arranging like physical on the ground interviews, are you doing them for the most part outdoors, socially distanced, or any talent saying, I want the journalist to be wearing masks? I mean, what are the, are there any different kind of logistical issues to deal with there? There are some, yeah. I mean, we are doing, we are doing some of them out of doors and the ones that we're doing indoors, we, we're keeping numbers down. So whereas in the past, for example, you would, you know, if you had somebody who was heavily in demand, you could have a round table up to, I mean, I, I try not to enter double figures if possible, but, but there have been occasions where you've had to. So what's, I mean, just because I know you're very busy and you've got fires to put out and you've got to run up and down and, you know. <laughs> well, one thing I'm trying not to do is run. because it's so hot. I mean, here. that's the other issue this year that, I mean, already is becoming very apparent is just how unpleasant it is once you're out in the streets and just the, the sheer oppressive heat. Yes. Well, what, what, as yes, before you go out to walk in the shade <laughs> down the cross. Slowly. Slowly. Can I can I sort of ask you about you know what your sentiments are really when you look at Cannes? You think okay, well, the show's back on the road now. This is the start of it. We're coming out and we're going to go back to where we are. And I feel great about that. What's your take? Or are you a bit still a bit? I think. Well, I'm, I'm still. A, it's too early in the festival to make a complete overriding judgment i mean obviously 
we were all there last year. Venice last year worked beautifully. There were few, far fewer restrictions than there are here. Yes, I mean, it, it feels... I mean, obviously, it's, it's an ambitious programme. There are some major filmmakers here. I wish the programme had been slightly smaller. I think that would have helped all of us. I mean, I think let's give it a few days to see how it all feels, feels you know, sometime, you know, next week when it's sort of... <laughs> We've, we've been through a little bit, but um, I mean, it, it doesn't at the moment feel, I mean, apart from the all these sort of scheduled COVID testing and the heat, it doesn't feel dramatically different. But give me a few more days to, you know, pass judgment on that. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Jonathan. We're going to let you go now to go put out your your various fires, and uh, hopefully you won't have uh, too much more uh, trouble getting down up and down the Quasette in this heat. I know it is a very very hot day out there. And now we are joined by Screens America's editor, Jeremy Kay, who uh, we're delighted to have in Cannes. It wasn't very clear at first that Jeremy was going to come this year. We weren't, you know, we weren't sure what the the rules were for traveling from the US and the various different regulations. And in fact, Jeremy, you did not have a straightforward journey getting here, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and then give us some of your impressions on the market this year. Hello, Matt. Yeah, no, that's right. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And it was a rather convoluted journey because I came from Los Angeles and came to Cannes via the UK, where I just stayed with my mother because well, the US is on the UK's amber list. I had to quarantine for 10 days in the UK. So you had to test, obviously, before you got on the plane in LA to get into the UK. Then you had to test on day two in the UK and day eight. But I was able to take a day five test too, which allows you to break your quarantine if you get a negative result. So that happened on day six. But I still had to take the day eight test and then flew to um, Amsterdam and then flew into Nice a few days ago, where we've all been testing religiously here at the uh, the can test site and so jeremy you know this is the fir- our first time here obviously in two years what's your impression so far i mean who is here from the u.s industry is there a big attendance what's the what's the market like what's the palais like i mean it's it's a very different can this year isn't it it's very different it feels surreal doesn't it it's it's it feels wonderful to be here but it is it does feel very unusual i think the americans have quite a low-key profile this year um of course, the filmmakers are coming in to support the Films in Festival, and you've got a, a couple of, well, several American buyers who have films in the festival. Like ISC has three films in competition, and Neon has three films in the festival, I think two in competition. And those guys and some of the other sellers, like Sony Classics and Magnolia and Cohen Media Group, are here looking to, you know, opportunistically buy a film from the festival that might pop. And because it's a rather sort of bifurcated event this time and we had the virtual market what two weeks ago where all the big sales packages involving the american sellers were being sort of touted you haven't really got that element going on here in tandem with the festival which i know from what i've read and what i've heard from a few buyers is something that they've welcomed because they can come here and just you know focus on the festival films but of course you know these deals from the um the virtual market are trickling in and yesterday it was announced that STX had uh, paid a ton of money to get the sequel on, on the Greenland, uh, by the Greenland sequel with Jerry Butler. That deal may have just happened or it may have been done a week or so ago and they decided to, to announce it on site in Cannes, which would make sense to me. I think we'll see more of that this week. But by and large, it does seem that the focus is on festival titles, 
and um, people coming in to support the films and to watch the films. What do you think it means long term for Cannes? I mean, if if you know, will it become a festival perhaps where you might not get as much American attendance in future if there is the ability to engage with your buyers over the internet? You know, you don't necessarily need to do the kind of on the ground deals that you used to do. Do you think things will change permanently, or is this a preference for the industry to be back in Cannes in mass, you know, in person? I mean, is that is that will we see a return to that? Do you think going forward? I think we'll definitely see Americans coming back to the festival en masse because while it is a 365-day year business, as you say, every seller and buyer I've spoken to says they may not see themselves going to quite so many markets around the year, maybe some of these, should we say, the satellite markets outside of Cannes, Berlin and the AFM. But they do regard this one as um, a really important place just to see business partners who they've known and done done business with for many, many years. Everybody misses that face-to-face -face, uh, interaction, don't they? And it's it's just as we feel seeing each other, it's a really nice feeling. It feels wonderful after being cooped up for so long at home. So I think they definitely view can long-term as something where they need to be and they want to be. And I do think we'll see the market and the festival fusing again as it, as it had done before the pandemic. Maybe people will bring smaller teams. Maybe there won't be need for so many companies to come with, with so, so many uh, executives and, and, and staffers. I don't know. But I do think the Americans will come back when the world has gone back to some kind of normal. It's great to see Searchlight Pictures here this year with uh, with the, the French Dispatch. I mean, that was a title that was going to be here at Cannes last year before it was cancelled, and they held that for an entire year. But there was still even some uncertainty leading into Cannes whether they were definitely going to come, but they did in the end. So, you know, that's obviously, a, you know, a, a real show of support by Searchlight to, you know, to want to be in Cannes and also for the filmmaker Wes Anderson, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think they're delighted to be here and to bring the cast. And similarly, um, you're seeing Universal. They're sending, um, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Focus Features, actually, part of Universal, uh, sending Peter Kujowski, who's the chairman. He's coming with a small team because they bought a lot of territories on Red Rocket, Sean Baker's movie in competition. And they also have uh, Stillwater in the festival and Blue Bayou uh, in selection as well. And you've got Film Nation here, Glenn. Well, Glenn Basner, the head of Film Nation, is here because he he sold territories on on the Red Rocket. So these guys are here to support. And yeah, clearly the studio execs will be here to travel. I've got to think Amazon has people here. They had a net you know, world premiering last night as the opening film. And I'm sure I'm sure the other streamers will have at least a few people on the ground just seeing what's around, what you know, what might be available to buy, and just having meetings with people. Jeremy, how does it look in the market when you go down there? I mean, we hear that there's like considerably fewer people populating the physical market. You've been down and had a look. What, what's your impression? Yeah, yeah. I don't want it to um, be too brutal, but I did go down yesterday and it was the first day down into the, uh, you know, into the bunker and I went around in, in the building and um, it was very, very quiet. As you've seen in the past, like on the day of if they have set up or maybe at the end of the market when people are already leaving. There were people in booths. A lot of people were telling me that, you know, they didn't have back-to-back -back meetings. They just had a few. But then they would, they would leave that site and go and have dinners and meet their, you know, their partners that way, their business partners that way. But it was very quiet. Now, I have not seen it today, and I'm going to go down and check later when I get tested again. And you'd hope it's going to pick up. But it, it looked like a very quiet start because... Um, Certainly a lot of people from outside of Europe haven't felt comfortable coming this year. 
there has been some discussion about you know how many buyers are actually here because i think if you looked on sanando there wasn't necessarily you know you could see the list of people but it didn't sort of say whether they were definitely going to be there in person or whether they were going to be attending virtually and i think a lot of people maybe found once they arrived that perhaps not as many buyers are here as they thought might be so it's you know it's an interesting kind of um twist to the market i guess for you know people usually coming together for this kind of business Yes. And, and a lot of them are doing their business online, as you said, you know, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned the streamers. I mean, um, you know, there's the o ongoing issue for Cannes around Netflix's, you know, continued shunning of the festival because obviously Cannes will not program Netflix titles in competition if they won't commit to a theatrical release in France. This is very much tied to their chronology laws. And uh, this has been an ongoing dispute. And, you know, Cannes very happy to have them in other sections. But for the moment, Netflix is saying no. So, you know, they have the Jane Campion film, The Power of the Dog, which you might have expected to be in Cannes with Campion being, a, you know, a filmmaker with a long history here, obviously won the Palme d'Or, the only female filmmaker to do so. But shared it. I always have to, sorry, I have to say, shared it. I know, I know she shared it, she shared it. But now it looks like The Power of the Dog is going to go to Venice. And so, does you know, Thierry made the point, uh, Thierry Fromer made the point in his press conference that for him, that role is just not something he's he's willing to, to budge on because he says this is a festival discovery for new filmmakers. And he argues that Netflix is not a place for new filmmakers to be discovered. So he's going to continue to fight that corner for Netflix. Do you think it matters, Jeremy, ultimately, that Netflix isn't here? Does it does it negatively impact Can or does it negatively impact Netflix? Who comes who comes out worse in that kind of in this dispute? I don't know. I think I, I, I think I'm sure Netflix would like the prestige of being able to premiere films in competition and compete and you know add that string to their bow. You know, Thierry's always made it sound like there's a very friendly discourse going on between Can and Netflix. I'm sure that will continue. Let's see what happens. You never know, but. You know, you look at the selection this year and, and, and Finn and yourself will, will you know, be able to perhaps uh, say more about this, but it does seem to be a very interesting, vibrant selection. And if it's missing a Netflix film, I don't think that's necessarily the end of the world. And, and as you say, you know, we've run a piece today saying that, you know, Power of the Dog, the Jane Campbell film is, is most likely going to, net, to, uh, to Venice and um, possibly they're taking another film too, Paolo Sorrentino's film. Uh, the hand of God, and maybe one or two others. We'll see. So they'll find their places for their for their competitive births for their films, and I think Cannes appears to have done very well without them this year with its selection. I think Netflix will always find a way. That's the thing, you know. They're just um, an irresistible force, and um, who, who knows if there'll be a meeting of the minds on this in the future. But for right now, I don't think there's any real losers. Do you think uh, so? This July, obviously, a new time for this festival to take place. We, you know, we we don't know yet whether the festival will return to its May dates last year. We've obviously heard some very loose rumors that they're potentially looking at June dates. We don't know if that's remotely true, but we have heard that there there is certainly some um, thinking about moving into June. Does it matter from the U.S. industry perspective whether it's May or June? Or do you think they'd have a preference either way? I think they'd be, I haven't really canvassed that many people yet, but I think, I imagine they'd be happy sticking it to, with May because that's what they've been used to. And actually I should have said at the top, you know, it being July this time, we know it's an asterisk year, as they say, but another reason why some of the Americans weren't prepared to come was because, you know, we all got here over the July 4th weekend, which is a big holiday in the US. Plus they just had the virtual market and some people felt, well, it's time to, to settle into the summer now. But I imagine they like sticking with May. You, I've never heard complaints from anybody about that, maybe because it was so institutionalized and you just had to get on with it. But um, I can't see why June would necessarily be better. 
I think people are used to planning their calendars around the, the traditional dates. So I'd say May will work, continue to work well for the Americans. And if it is June, then they'll have to, they'll just have to grin and bear it. But I imagine they want to stick with May. Well, we'll see what happens in the future and we'll see what happens the rest of this festival. Jeremy, we'll let you get back to pounding the pavement and finding those, those hot stories. But thank you for joining us today. Thanks, guys. It's been fun to be here. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Screen Podcast. Thank you to our guests, Jonathan Rudder from Premier PR and Jeremy Kay, my colleague on screen. And thank you very much for listening in. Keep an eye out for next month's episode, which we will announce soon. Until then, keep up with the latest news from the international screen industries at ScreenDaily.com. And let us know what you thought about this episode at our social media outposts, including our Twitter handle at ScreenDaily. This episode was produced by Danielle Kosh and Orlando Parfit. Tune in next month. We'll see you then.